Ayers on the Road, value-based parenting and life balance ideas from world-traveling family coaches. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Hello there, and welcome to another episode of Ayers on the Road. We're Richard and Linda Ayer. We love doing this once a week, if for no other reason than it keeps our kids informed of where we are and what we're thinking. <laughs> <laughs> if they ever listen. Um, <laughs> that is really, it's, it's always fun to just sit for a bit and think and share some things with you. We feel like, we really feel as though you're f- friends, even though we don't know you, but every more, once in a while, more often meet, now we are starting to hear that, that somebody's out there. So that is awesome. Yeah. And we're, We've fallen into kind of an interesting pattern on Ayers on the Road. We don't always um, have an organization or a schedule in mind because we like to talk about what's current, what's happening to us at the moment. But we've kind of fallen into an interesting pattern, Linda, where, where the first week of the month we talk about gratitude journals and what we want to do in our journals for the month. And second week, we talk about grandparenting because we've got so many grandparents that listen in. But the third and fourth week of the month, we talk about these three-letter lessons. And it's a book in progress. Who knows if it'll ever become a book in completion. But uh, we've just always been fascinated by certain words that motivate a certain paradigm or a certain attitude within us and help us live our lives more joyfully and more productively. And it's not a new idea. We've said before that Benjamin Franklin, one of his main ways of self-improvement is he had certain character qualities. He would focus on them one at a time, one a week, and try to drum them into his personality. And we've done that. We've written about, you know, ideas along those lines. But this, the unique thing about this is, is we, we think there are certain little three-letter lessons that can serve kind of as word pegs in our mind and just remind us of the kind of attitude we want to have toward each day and the kind of way we want to approach our life each day, right? Yes, it really is interesting to do. And by the way, I've had laryngitis, so I sound like another man sitting here. <laughs> by my husband, but um, it really is interesting when you start focusing on something like this, how often it pops into your mind and you realize that um, there's something of real value to think about, of real quality. If you have just one three-letter word in your mind during the week. It's just interesting. And we're, this is the 11th one that we've done. And, and if, if you're captured by this concept like we are, you're welcome to go back to some of the earlier podcasts and, and back and look at them and listen to some of those early ones. But our three-letter lesson for today is one, O-N-E. And we just are so fascinated by the idea of oneness. And we're going to try to get into it, not only in a marriage or a relationship, but in the idea of unity and in the idea of being able to be compatible with other people, even if they're very different than you, even if they have different views than you, even if they watch different news channels than you, even if they have different politics than you. Instead of creating conflict and discord and disunity, 
there's a way to think of it as oneness, a oneness of uh, made up of different parts. Um, you know, as we kind of hopefully are getting to the end of a two-year pandemic worldwide, and we just hear on the news now that there's another wave coming, but I, <laughs> I think we're, we think that we're kind of at an endemic age where everybody is getting it and everybody has a certain amount of immunity and the flu is killing more people now than uh, COVID-19. So um, it really is an interesting time to think about oneness because what we've come out of this pandemic with is for us, I think more oneness than we've ever had with our family because of the internet. Yeah. Gosh, that is the best thing that's come out of this. These zoom calls, um, I'm doing a Zoom calls with a the call with four little grandchildren this afternoon. Um, we've been in contact with our our children, our daughters-in-law, our daughters. It really has been amazing. But here's the question, Linda. I mean, just on the point you're making, theoretically, with communication where it is, where we can be in touch with anyone, anytime, and share our feelings and our views and learn from each other and on and on and on, just to the degree that no one would have imagined even 10 or 20 years ago. So theoretically, we should be more tolerant, more united. understanding, more united, right. more one in various ways. And yet, we are not. <laughs> the world's more polarized than it's ever been ever. before. How do you explain that? I Why mean, are we losing our unity and our tolerance and our oneness, which we're going to get more deeply into, even when we have all the tools to understand each other better? You know, as you say that, though, I I think I'm thinking about a book that I just did with my book club yesterday called The Four Winds from Kristen Hanna about the Dust Bowl and then the Depression and then the war, that horrible time um, from the 20s to about the 45s, that um, there was so much division because people were hungry and uh, refugees in our own country. And there was so much prejudice. It was so sad to read So it didn't, book. it wasn't a crisis that brought people together. It no, was a, certainly not. A crisis that separated people, similar to this pandemic. But, Although if you go back to 9-11, there was a crisis that united. Right, exactly. So, so there's different, there's these different effects that are a little hard to understand, but we're going to try to delve into the concept of oneness and what it means and why it is not a loss of identity or individuality, but rather an expansion of our own uh, grasp and paradigm in the world. But maybe, you know, we usually start out talking about where we are and what we've been doing. Maybe we should just take a minute before we really delve into oneness and tell you that we, <laughs> we have an exciting 24 hours coming up because we're going to be taking care of our one-year-old twin grandchildren. <laughs> They're 18 months at least. Um, it is really, we're so excited. We're, <laughs> we're so excited. Have them all to ourselves for a while it's while their parents so go to great. a concert in Arizona. So you think travel's exciting. This will be more exciting. <laughs> <laughs> it is so interesting because we lived through so many years of so many babies. Not two at once, though. We've never done that. But it is just <laughs> so interesting to think how we're kind of girding up our loins. We used to get up every day and do this, except for with a whole <laughs> plethora of other kids to do things. 
But we are really excited about this because um, it's precious time with grandchildren now. And, uh, and then after, the, after that uh, wonderful 24 hours, we're taken off to go with three of the couples in our family, three of our, two of our sons and our daughter and their spouses, no kids to Costa Rica for a week. And, and this may sound extravagant to some of you, but we've, you know, it ties into something we've been talking about in our grandparenting segments, which is we find ourselves more and more encouraging grandparents to rather than try to save their money and give everything they can to their kids and their inheritance and so on. We find ourselves encourage them to spend whatever they have on making memories, on getting together and on trying to facilitate their own children getting away a little more and, and having a chance to recreate and figure out where they're going in their lives. And so we're doing two or three of these little trips. Well, when I say little, not our whole family, but two or three of our kids at a time where we can really find out how their lives are at the moment. Well, this is a complicated story. Yeah, <laughs> They're yeah, like, that... what? What do you do? We, we, <laughs> it's not a free ride for these kids. They're paying some too, but we are so excited to, uh, we decided we just got so many kids. We can't do all of them together all the time uh, when we get together. Summer reunions and are one some, thing. Some, but... A reunion once a year, but the other parts of the year, we just take whatever kids can come and make sure everybody gets to um, be together at some point during the year. It's just a new, a new plan. So we'll have a little fun stuff to tell you next week because we'll be doing the podcast from Costa Rica, a place we really love. We've been there to speak a few times and it is really a remarkable. We almost died there once, remember? <laughs> we, <laughs> we were on this expedition. They don't have as many rules there as they do here. We were on these zip lines that were the craziest thing ever. And then we were, that, there was that, we were on inner tubes. They weren't rafts, they were inner tubes. And we we're floating down this raging river. And uh, they had hand created <laughs> this giant water slide <laughs> with rocks and inner tubes. Well, it was and, partly a oh river, but goodness. they just kind of enhanced it. Uh, anyway, you know. Hope we make it back. Hope we make it to next, <laughs> to week, next week for the week, podcast. Yeah. So that's our little quick update. Um, twins and then Costa Rica. And we'll report next week. But back to the one letter lesson of one. Um, you know, the oneness is a concept that biblical scholars will, will probably think of John 17, the great intercessory prayer where Christ is praying that his disciples will become one. And he even says, as he's praying to his father, to God, and saying that they might become one as we are one. So clearly, he's referring to unity and to a oneness of spirit, a oneness of, of mind. But I don't think that he's referring to a oneness in the sense of cloning each other or all being just alike or none of them having individual opinions. I think he's, he's praying that they will become one in purpose, one in terms of what they're about and what they're trying to do and their mission to spread the gospel of Christ. You know, this makes me think because of what we just said 
that sometimes it takes a crisis to create oneness. And in the apostles case, of course, the crisis was the lost loss of the savior. And they, they had to bond. They had to figure out what they're going to do next. They, their leader had left and they had to do that. And I think a crisis does bring people together in most cases. I mean, you just mentioned nine 11, right? That brought mm-hmm. our whole country yeah. together. And now Putin's war. I mean, um, we certainly are not, we're divided half the other world thinks something has happened that has not happened. And, but we, as the Western world are really more united, I think, than we've been for a long time in working together to try to help. I, I just do think that crisis has, has some merit. Well, and we've got just a couple of minutes before we take a little break. And then in the second half today, we're really going to delve into into oneness, but let me introduce something and and we'll go further with it after the break. Um, In the one and only book we've ever written on marriage, because frankly, we're crazy. (laughs) We're still working on it. (laughs) We're still working on it. Yeah. But one of the chapter, well, it's about the myths of marriage and, and one of the chapters, which has gotten more comments than probably any of the others. We talk about the equality myth and we and we say and other truths about sameness, um, and and we say essentially, well, let, let us read you the myth and the truth, and this is what we'll be getting into after the break. So, myth: equality should be the prime goal of your relationship or your marriage. And then substitute this truth: striving for equality breeds comparing and criticism. And it may produce more competition than compatibility. It's better to work for a marriage of synergistic oneness and breeds that breeds cooperation and compensates for one another's weaknesses. So you get the idea of where we're going with this, that, that uh, we all say we pay homage, we play lip service to the idea of, of equality. We want, you know, a good relationship has to be equal. And, you know, that, that's a wonderful thought, but... I can't tell you how many times we've run into couples where equality means competition. It means comparing. It means, well, you know, I don't get as much time away from the kids as you do, or you don't do the dishes as often as I do, or I, and and some of this is constructive because we're trying to create a team and be, and learn from each other, but it also can be a kind of thing of keeping score And we're going to try to differentiate in our minds and hopefully in yours that oneness is a better concept because it allows for differences, but it can unite those differences. So hang on. We are excited to talk about it after this brief break. Be right back. Welcome back to Ayers on the Road. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. And we're back talking about oneness today as it applies to unity and or not. Yeah, as it applies to unity and to oneness. Um, another thing we're doing that we want to start sharing with you, podcast listeners, is we're working on a book with some other collaborators on unity because we feel like in our community, actually in our church right now, there's a real 
division on a lot of political and societal paradigms and so on. And we're, we're, we're some of the best writers we know are putting together articles on, on unity. And I want to read you just a little from part of an article we're working on that's on unity, but it'll tie into what we want to say about this three letter lesson, the lesson being one O N E. It may seem normal or even necessary to have discord, division, dissension, and disunity in politics and government, because that is essentially the way that democracies function. And the goal is not really unity, but progress toward diversity and differences that are debated and compromised and built into coalitions, producing laws and policies for the common good. Or said another way, Democratic government works when we're united on the most important goals, but divided on how to get there. And we all accept that. We accept, hey, we've got political differences. And and in the past, we've probably been a little better at saying, I can still be your friend. You may vote for a Democrat. I may vote for a Republican. Or you may be conservative. I may be liberal. But we can still coexist and learn from each other. But that's gotten harder lately because... We've politicized everything from wearing masks to getting vaccinated to, you know, which news channel we listen to. And it's a it's a big concern right now. But that's not our purpose today. Let's think about how that applies to family. The four D's that we mentioned, discord, division, dissension and disunity. They're they're dangerous, but potentially productive in, in state and in government. They're very destructive sometimes within churches, but they become disastrous and potentially spirit-destroying in families, in a community, in a, in a, in a country. They can be stimulating. They can, they can lead to debate and so on. But in a family, they can hurt really, really deeply. Now, in our theology, Uh, Family is not only the basic unit of society and culture and our economy, but it's the basic unit of eternity. And we feel like, you know, we have to try to find a way to get more unity within our families. And that's going to lead us into this idea of one within our marriages and within our families. So think about this little thing that, that we've thought a lot about. Lovely as it is, we might also find some dark or ironic humor in some of the lyrics of our hymns, uh, especially Love at Home. Yeah. <laughs> in the cottage, there is joy. Yeah, these are quotes from a hymn we sing a lot in right. church called Love at Home. Okay. In the cottage, there is joy. Peace and plenty here abide. Smiling sweet on every side. Time does softly, sweetly glide. All the earth's garden sweet making life a bliss complete. Wow. I'm always <laughs> tempted to change the last stanza to uh, when there's no one home. Yeah, no. And Instead of when there's love at time. home, we say, oh, all those things really do exist when there's no one home. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to realize that, man, um, and we're not making fun of that. That's a no, it's a beautiful it's hymn. It's a beautiful hymn. <laughs> and we've always sung it with love and admiration. But as our kids were growing up, we... You realize, 
sometimes, in fact, look around. We have a house here that's perfectly in order because yeah, there no are no home. children. In about an hour, <laughs> those twins will be here. Exactly. Um, <laughs> the earth will not be a garden suite, making a life of bliss complete. <laughs> well, it will actually because we only have them for 24 oh, hours. Oh, that's true. That's true. So um, it's really interesting that that is that's the way we are sometimes. Families with their close quarters, different personalities, and interlaced responsibility and obligation sometimes seems the perfect breeding ground for the four Ds. And other song lyrics come to mind. The old pop song, we always hurt the ones we love. And the newer one, tell me why we hurt the ones we love the most. And that is really true. Sometimes we do. Yeah. So how do we look for this concept of oneness? How do we try to be one even though we are different? And of course, the most important application of that really is within our marriages. In fact, here's some sort of other sub-myths that, you know, that we, we think the real myth is that equality is the only goal of a marriage and, and it leads to this scorekeeping. But Here's some other sort of things we think are myths and, and, a, and a substituted truth. Number one, you have to be the same to be equal. That's just not right. It the, is. the truth is the best kind of equality is oneness, and it thrives on different but equally important personalities and roles and concepts that, that we each retain. So here's another another myth. Another sub myth is the key to a good marriage is for both partners to go fifty percent and meet in the middle. If you've ever tried that, that that's a myth. <laughs> well, once in a while it works on certain things, but the truth is, you may have to go ninety percent to meet your spouse's ten percent sometimes, and your partner may have to go ninety percent to meet you other times. That is so true. Now, let's give you one more sort of related myth. Number three, sub-myth. Feminism is about eliminating all differences between men and women. <laughs> Truth, feminism, real feminism, in our view, is about women and men being different. As the French would say, vive la différence. Mm -hmm. That's not a very good French accent, but you know, applause to the difference. The difference between men and women is what makes the world go round, but different, but equal, different, but equal, which is our definition of what oneness really is. When we talk to our kids about oneness and, and Richard brings that up often, um, and not at family dinners, but you know, in passing, well, sometimes at family dinners, um, how important oneness is, they bristle a bit because they're like, no, I have a different opinion than my husband. I, we're not one on this subject. And that's okay. You know, you can have totally different opinions. In fact, um, we're, all, we're all guilty sometimes of uh, pushback when we see that somebody believes something different than we do. We were talking to, to a friend recently who drove by this dear friend who had just moved in the ward, but she'd become such dear friends with her. And she had a political sign out on her front porch that was different than what she believed. Yeah. And she was like, oh, no, maybe I can't like this person anymore. Yeah. And it, we all do that. And then, of course, she brought her, her, her bootstraps up and said, 
that is ridiculous. That is ridiculous. We have to remember everybody can have their own opinion. So here's how we're trying to capsulize it in, in this chapter in the book. In our own marriage, we dumped the equality goal, which meant slowing one of us down so the other could catch up. It was unnatural. Unity was a better goal, allowing us to celebrate our differences in aptitudes and attitudes while blending and converging on our goals and our priorities. But we knew there was a step beyond unity, an ideal to strive for that is higher and vastly more synergistic. And we came to call it oneness. Oneness, as we define it herein, is a change, not in degree, but in kind. It's a paradigm shift wherein without minimizing, in fact, maximizing our individuality, we become two parts of one greater whole and where that new combined entity becomes not only more important than either part, but more than the sum of its parts. So now you start seeing kind of where we're going with this synergy. One of our favorite words simply means what you just said, Linda, that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. I mean, if I'm two and you're two, the combined total of us working together in synergy and in oneness in a marriage, the, the combined total is not four. It's something more than four because we stimulate each other. We motivate each other. We try to understand each other. And that, and that's why, I mean, I, I think it allows us to say some things that sound somewhat outrageous otherwise. For example, I tell Linda every chance I get, Linda, there is not one single thing that I would change about you. And Linda always laughs, just like she is now, because I have to add the caveat of what I'm talking about. What I really mean is, uh, Linda's a complex, nuanced person. And if I started saying, oh, that bugs me, I'd like you to change that, I may be talking about the flip side of some of a call of a quality she has that I love and that I would never want to change. You don't start tampering with one little thing you want to change because it would change other things. It would be a chain reaction. What we have to do is say, I love all of you. It's the John Legend song, right? Right. All of me loves all of you. And that's the beginning of this idea of oneness, which is, a combination of two unique individuals where essentially, and see if you think I'm oversimplifying this, honey, but essentially it's the joyful trade of, it's the joyful acceptance that interdependence is actually a better thing than independence because you can have interdependence and still retain your individuality and combine them together into a one, which includes both. Um, yes, you are oversimplifying <laughs> that because in theory that is perfect. But then when we get in an argument, you, you listeners should know that we, we do everything differently. Our mindset is just so different that we've spent most of our lives arguing about what's right, but we really, uh, when we get to the depths of an argument, and you're, I'm feeling like you, you are not quite right in this. You, you need to change this. I, <laughs> I say, so do you want me to change that about myself? And you think, 
oh no no but you do <laughs> no but no you i know. do no i know i don't I, know i think if if someone were to ask us what was the 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 greatest progress or the greatest achievement in our relationship over 50 years we would probably say learning to accept each other as who we are and to change the goal of becoming the same to the goal of finding synergy and oneness in our uniqueness. Yeah, but you do have to admit that <laughs> I, I have changed some things and you have changed. Well, some yeah, things. yeah. There, I mean, we adjust, but we try to do it in a way that doesn't sacrifice our individuality. Now, you know, again, the smartest, the best way to see this probably is something all of you have seen, if you can call it back into your minds. And it's the diagram of the yin and the yang. This comes out of Taoism, an ancient Chinese philosophy from Lao Tzu in 600 BC. But it is so beautiful. And you can see it in your mind, this circle with this little line that goes through the circle, this curved line. So the two halves are identical shape, this little head and a tail, head and a tail nested in together into this perfect circle. Equal. I think a tennis ball. Yeah. If you, yeah, if you actually turn a tennis ball, so the, 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 the seam is seen from the side, it looks like a three dimensional vision of, the yin and the yang diagram. They're, they're together, they're one, but they're opposite at the same time. And of course, the, the yin-yang thing is, you know, the masculine and the feminine, the light and the dark, the, the soft and the hard, the, all, all the opposites, um, but combined into this beautiful one, success and failure, um, sunny and cloudy, every, everything being accepted as part of a bigger whole. So. Yes, a true. So we know there's a lot to think about in this. We hope that we've given you some things to think about with your relationship, not only with your spouse, but with your family, your neighbors. Unity and oneness is really important. The closer we can get, the better off we are. And so that's the one, that's the three-letter lesson. It's number 11 of the three-letter lessons. The, the three-letter are one, O-N-E. And we just challenge you to think about that and see if you can find ways this week to bring more oneness, not sameness, but oneness into your marriage, into your family, and into the way you think about the world. We wish you the very best and hope to see you next time on Ayers on the Road. Bye till then. 